So late 2017, Pastor Chad preached through the book of Nehemiah, which gives the account of the third return of the exiled Jews to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around the city. Well, approximately 93 years earlier, the first of the three returns to Jerusalem of the Jewish exiles took place around 538 B.C. by the direct proclamation of Cyrus, king of Persia. And our text this morning is from Isaiah chapter 45. So you can go ahead and start turning there. We're going to read that together. But God is addressing Cyrus directly here in Isaiah 45. Well, what's interesting that I learned is that the book of Isaiah was written somewhere between 150 to 200 years prior to Silas's rule and reign, and obviously before he was born. So Isaiah chapter 45 is a prophecy of how God would use Cyrus for his will and his purpose for the nation of Israel. So if you turn there to Isaiah 45 and you're able, please stand and let's read this text together. Isaiah 45, 25 verses. And I'm reading from the American Standard. So thus says the Lord to Cyrus's anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the, sake of my ja- for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you may have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising of the to the, from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Drip down, O heavens, from above. And let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit. And righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, To what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. 
I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. I have aroused him in righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free. Without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord, the products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, will come over to you and will be yours. They will walk behind you. They will come over in chains and they will bow down to you. They will make supplication to you. Surely God is with you and there is none else, no other God. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturers of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel has been saved by the Lord. With an everlasting salvation, you will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous man and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Thank you. Please be seated. I know that was a lot of reading, and it's a lot of passage to unpack, but I have four points for you this morning. Four simple points. The first one we see here in the very beginning of the chapter. God's plans will be accomplished. God's plans will be accomplished. In this passage of Scripture, Isaiah pens the words of God addressing Cyrus, the future king of Persia, who is not even in existence yet. In these first few verses, God's telling Cyrus all that he's going to do for him and through him. 
In summary, God says, I'm going to subdue the nations and bless you with tremendous wealth and power. But God makes a few things very clear to Cyrus about why he is going to do these things for him. There are three main reasons that God gives Cyrus. The first is so that you will know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who is responsible for your success and for your wealth. The second reason is for the sake of Jacob and the nation of Israel. And the last, the third, is that men will know that there is no other God. So just be aware, Cyrus, this is why I'm helping you, blessing you. I should also point out that God is very clear that he is calling Cyrus by name, even though he does not know the Lord. In verse 13, God says, I have aroused him in righteousness and I will make all his paths smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free. In Ezra 1.1, we see that many years later come to fruition when God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, who is now born and alive and in, in control, he's ruling, to make this proclamation for the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God. So we see that God works in the hearts of kings and rulers to accomplish his will and plan, even if they don't know him. If God stirred the hearts of Cyrus back in 538 B.C., don't you think that he can stir the heart of a nation's leaders in 2020 to accomplish his purpose? Christians, we need to pray for our nation's leaders and that God would stir them up in righteousness for his purpose and glory. God accomplished his plan through Cyrus, king of Persia, and he can still do that today. Back in 1973, Billy Graham preached a sermon on Habakkuk that has recently resurfaced on social media with a 50-second clip that has gone viral. Maybe you've seen it. Well, here's what he said. Unfortunately, I'm not going to do justice to the delivery of Billy Graham, but he's, here's what he said. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk, because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and in him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, He'll be there. 
God is still on the throne in 2020. And his plans, though we may not know them, will be accomplished. Point number two. There's no other God besides the Lord. There is no other God besides the Lord. This point is a theme throughout the whole chapter. We see in verse 5, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Verse 6, there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Verse 18, I am the Lord and there is none else. Verse 21, there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none except me. And in verse 22, for I am God and there is no other. So six different times, God says, there is no other God but him. Just because someone fashions an image out of wood, stone, metal, or any other imaginations, and declares that a God does not mean that it is actually a God. The Lord Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, is the only God. There is none other. Those are his words. When a person places their faith in another God, they are lost, friend. When a person places their faith in no God at all, they are also lost. God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Look at what God says in verse 20. He says, they have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. So when someone places their faith in another God, they are doing so in vain. Why? Because the lump of wood cannot save them just because it was fashioned into an image created by man. Man cannot create God. Rather, it is God who created man. In the previous chapter, in Isaiah 44, verses 13 through 17, we find an almost comical argument from Isaiah about someone who fashions a God out of the same tree that he cut up for firewood. This piece here, I'll cut up to burn and warm the house. This piece here, I'll cut up and burn to cook my fire, uh, cook my dinner over. And this piece over here, I'll, I think I'll fashion it into a God so that I can worship it and pray to it and ask it to deliver me. Maybe you're thinking, how does this apply to us today? We aren't at home carving wood logs into idols to worship and pray to. No, no, you're probably right. We're not. We're too smart and sophisticated for that as Americans in 2020. We have everything we need, though, right? We have our health insurance, our financial security, our possessions, our hobbies, our entertainment, our careers, our friends. I could go on and on. Are they worthy of your worship any more than a piece of wood? Are those things any more capable to deliver you from your sin than a man-made idol of, a, of Buddha? No. Nothing has changed 
since the beginning of time. In 2017, Pew Research conducted a survey and revealed that approximately 56% of Americans believed in God as described in the Bible. While 33% believed in some other higher power, and the remaining 11% didn't believe that there was any God at all. So 44% of Americans, according to the survey, do not believe what God is telling us this morning about himself. I am the Lord and there is no one else. What do you believe this morning? Do you believe that the God of this Bible is the only true God and that there is no other? Point number three. God is our creator and our maker. God is our creator and maker. And again, this is a theme all throughout the chapter. Verse 7, he says that he is the one forming light and creating darkness. In verse 8, he says, I, the Lord, have created it. In verse 9, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. It is I, verse 12, he says, who made the earth and created man upon it. In verse 18, he says of himself, the one who created the heavens, who formed the earth and made it. So he's the only God, and he's the God who created everything. Whether we acknowledge this truth or deny God's very existence, it does not change the reality that God is our creator and maker. He created this earth for us to inhabit, and everything was created by him, and he is the designer of all things. He made you either male or female, tall, short, black, white, red, yellow. None of us here had a choice about whether we would be born at all, who our parents would be, or anything about ourselves. Look at verse 9. He says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands. I'm going to pause here for a moment because some of you may be reading from ESV. And ESV translates the end of verse 9 as your work has no handles. Um, I just read from the New American Standard, which says he has no hands. The word, the Hebrew word here is yod, which means hands. And every other version I cross-referenced translated this as hands. So, how ridiculous would it be for a lump of clay to question the potter and to make a statement like, he has no hands? And I thought about that. I was confused, perplexed about what, is, what does he mean by he has no hands? Well, Albert Barnes' commentary said this. The hands here stand for the skill or the wisdom which is evidenced in making it. Do you really want to quarrel with your maker because you wish that God had made you differently in some way? Doing so is 
suggesting to God that he has no hands, no skill, no wisdom in what he created. So who are we to quarrel with our maker? God makes nothing in vain, but rather for his glory. Will you submit yourself to your maker and be a vessel of honor to be used in whatever shape he made you and for whatever purpose he made you? He is our creator and our maker. Last point this morning, the title of the sermon, Every Knee Will Bow. Every Knee Will Bow. This final point is really the very reason that I was led to this text several weeks ago. You see, I knew in Scripture, every knee will bow, every knee shall bow. And so I I couldn't remember where it was. I looked it up. But that thought came to me because I was struggling with how to process all the unrighteousness, the unrighteous things that have been taking place in our country over the last couple of months. Every day, without fail, for the last two plus months, it's been new reports of more riots, more violence, more looting, more shootings, more innocent lives lost, more lawlessness, more unrighteousness. Well, God brought this verse to my mind and reminded me that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, this is in two New Testament locations. Romans 14.11 is one and Philippians 2.11 is the other. I then discovered that they were both quoting the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Which, by the way, Isaiah is the most directly quoted prophet in the New Testament. Learn that. So, that's what led me to Isaiah 45. And I don't know about you, but if you're looking for a verse and you find it in its middle ways or at the end of the chapter, you ever start reading backwards, trying to get the context, and you keep going further and further up. And that's what I did with Isaiah 45, and I realized this whole chapter was... Amazing. So we know from Scripture that there are two types of people. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. Those who are saved are in fact saved because they have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. 1 John 4.15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So when God's word says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, it means everyone. However, the saved confess the Lord on this side of eternity. The unsaved individuals whose lives, uh, their entire lifetime are unrepentant and without confessing that Jesus is Lord will end up in hell for all eternity. That's the reality. They will become aware of of their grave error. And they will bow a knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Unfortunately, it will be too late. 
Now, while it's true that those individuals who are the most rebellious and outwardly defiant of God's very existence will one day bow a knee and confess Jesus as Lord, the same is also true of those who are religious on the outside. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, whether you and I are perfect 99% of the time, or wicked 99% of the time, we all still fall short of the glory of God. What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has been very clear since the beginning. He is God and there is no other He created you and me. He is righteous and our Savior. In verse 22, he said, turn to me and be saved. You can turn to him and be saved. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Turn to Him today while there is still time and confess that He is Lord before it's too late. If you reject Him in the Gospel, guess what? You're still going to bow your knee and confess that He is Lord. The only difference is that you will be doing so while you are in eternal torment and separated from His presence. So I plead with you this morning, if you are unsure of your eternal security, if you are unsure of your salvation, come speak with me or Chad or Richie or Rose or Heather or Sarah or Tony. Talk to somebody. Don't leave here today if you are not reconciled with the God of Isaiah chapter 45 who is telling you Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Let's pray.